starting off, um, who can tell me kind of what's going on in these pictures? Got a Mount Everest. Who's the guy in the front there? He's probably a guide. And then we have on the second slide over here, we have a tour guide. How many people have been on a tour with a guide that been there for you know a long time? They know all the ins and outs, and it's a pretty good tour. How many of you been on a tour where looks like the guy just came from behind the uh, t-shirt counter and came out and started leading a tour? Didn't really know a whole lot. That's usually not too good, is it? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a song, uh, "Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah," and we'll be looking at that. Also, when you plan a trip or go on a trip, you generally have a tour guide, a book, or a map, and nowadays we do Google Maps. How many people remember the old days of the paper, getting out the paper map and trying to figure out how to get there? You do that still. <laughs> our song this morning uh, in our study is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. And But first, as we get into the song, let me open us with prayer. We'll get started that way. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that through your providence, you brought us here this morning to uh, worship, to learn more about you. And Father, as we study the great hymns of the faith, we ask that you would give us a new understanding to these or a new appreciation to these words that we sing and not just be rote memory. So we ask that you'd uh, open our eyes and hearts to your word this morning as we go through this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First, I'd like to introduce you to William Williams. He is the author of Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. He is a poet of the revival, a Welsh preacher. He was born on February the 11th, 1717. And I hear there's a lot of great people that just happen to be born on February the 11th. And you may happen to know one. And then he, he died on January 11th of uh, 1791. Uh, he, as I said, he was a Welch preacher. He was a hymn writer um, of the 18th century. He was uh, known as the Poet, Poet Laureate of, of Wales. What Isaac Watts was to the English hymnody, William Williams is to Welch hymnody. Uh, one commentator said that William Williams sung Wales into piety. He was an itinerant preacher traveling 40 to 50 miles per week, bringing the gospel to isolated people on horseback and much on foot crossing the Cambrian mountain range in Wales. He was a farmer's son to John and Dorothy, who attended an independent church. In his late teens, he began to pursue the study of medicine. And in 1735, at age 18, he described himself as a wounded soul. One Sunday morning, he wandered into a churchyard where a young preacher named Howell Harris mounted a gravestone and began to preach the gospel. And one commentator wrote that the effect on William was swift and dramatic as the Spirit of God applied the words to his conscience. So at age 23, William felt the spiritual need of his countrymen, and in 1740, he gave up the pursuit of medicine and decided that the spiritual needs of uh, his countrymen was much more important. So he applied for ordination in the Church of England. However, in uh, I think I said 19, but 1743, 
he was denied ordination, and he mainly because he would not follow the strictures of the church. There were 19 charges brought against him. Two of the, the biggest charges was one, he would not perform the sign of the cross when he was baptizing infants, and then two, he would often te- preach outside the bounds of his parish. So apparently that was a big no-no at the time. So this ended his ministry in the Church of England, and he this officially began uh, William's itinerant preaching ministry. He was a powerful preacher. Reverend Howell Harris, the one who uh, jumped up on the gravestone, which state of William's preaching is, hell trembles when he comes, and souls are daily taken by Brother Williams in the gospel net. During that time, the we heard a couple of weeks ago about the Wesleys and how prominent they were in producing songs and hymns for uh, the English uh, reform, uh, revival. So the Welch decided they needed to um, produce some of the hymns in Welch. So they had a little competition where the pastors got together and they all submitted their poems for hymns. And it was said that Williams outshone the rest of the group. And so his he was immediately commissioned to produce a book, a hymn book. And his first book was titled Hallelujah. The songs consisted of assurance of faith, spiritual joys, longing for heaven, and triumph over the enemies of the gospel. Most of the people were illiterate at the time, so they could uh, teach and learn the theology through songs. Martin Lloyd-Jones stated that the hymns of William Williams are packed with theology and experience. In Isaac Watts, you get the greatness and the bigness and the largeness of God. And in Charles Wesley, you get the experiential side of of wonderful. But in William Williams, you get both at the same time. And that is why I put him in the category entirely all on his own. He taught the people theology in the hymns, hence the title, Poet of the Revival. Another commentator stated that William's hymn spoke directly to the mind and the heart of the worshiper. Some verses of the hymns are like coals of fire, warming every passion that is sung. He, he wrote his hymns and they were beautiful in their hymns. They were symbolic in richness and directness of his work. He would often get inspired late at night, so he always went to bed with pen and paper by his bedside. And one night he was um, he cried out, Oh, bring light, my vessel is running over. William married uh, Mary Frances in 1748, and she was musical herself. And as they would travel on their itinerant ministry, she would often sing William's words to song, and then this would open up the door for William to preach. They had six daughters and two sons, and the two sons became preachers themselves. So as we begin to look at Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, again it was written in 1745. Some say this is the unofficial national hymn of Wales. They call it the Marching Song of Wales. Uh, it became popular in the trenches in, of Flanders in World War I. And I just recently learned that there was some, a great history of the Welch miners in the trenches would dig up tunnels up under the German trenches and set explosives for the war. But it was so popular that even the German soldiers began to pick up this song. When the Welch soldiers were singing it in the trenches, the German soldiers would begin singing it too. 
It was sung by, again, like the Welsh miners uh, royal, at Royal Readings, uh, Princess Diana's funeral. It's also sung at the rugby teams, the national rugby uh, teams when they play. The crowd or the audience would sing, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. And it is found in um, our hymnals, in page uh, 598, and we'll sing this at the end before we get through. But I want you to know I had a little bit of trouble with my spell check because I tried to print out the words here, but it, it wouldn't correct it. This is the song. Does anybody know Welsh? I think last week we had French up here and nobody could pronounce it. Here we have Welsh, but this is what it looks like in Welsh. The three verses. There's actually five verses to the song. In our hymn book, there's only three listed. I do have four and five. If we have time at the end, um, I'll show them to you because they're just as powerful as verses one, two, and three. But this song is saturated with biblical truths. The theme of the song is of a pilgrimage or a journey. And please excuse me, I uh, I went through the whole season without getting sick until last week, this past week, so I apologize. Here we see God's role and power to provide for our human needs. And this is praying directly to God, this song. We pray from a stance of being weak and needy and fearful of death. There are three th stanzas that we have in our hymn book. And the first one is dealing with God's provision. The second one is God's strength and deliverance. And the third is God's companionship at our death. Also listed are characteristic traits of God. We have God, the great Jehovah, God who's the bread of heaven, a strong deliverer, strength and shield, and finally death of death and hell's destruction. So as we look at verse 1, and as we move into the song, this is verse 1, and we'll take each a couple of lines and kind of dive in a little bit. So the first two lines, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, Pilgrim through this barren land. Scenes of the Exodus should immediately come to mind as we look at this song and as we sing this song. For in Exodus, we know that the Lord led um, with his steadfast love. He guided Israel out of Egypt by his strength. Um, Exodus 20 talks about the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And then there's several references there um, that we have in Genesis. God says, I am who I am. We have the creation um, dialogue in Genesis 1 and 2. God created all things. And then we think of Job, the end of the book of Job, where the Lord pretty much tells Job, who are you? Where were you when I created these things? And who are you to question this? And then also in Revelations, we have the I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we also have uh, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. And I have someone um, geared up to read that, please. So here we have our citizenship. And we're looking forward to that eternal city that we'll be uh, heading to. So we're a pilgrim through this land. First Peter talks about how we're sojourners and exiles in this land. 
Moving on to the next two stanzas. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Here we have some scripture passages that have handed out. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So here we have um, talking about you know, Paul talking about how he is weak and he is made strong in Christ. We have Isaiah forty one ten. So again, we see the weakness of us in God's powerful hand holding us. Psalm 8 is a majestic song about how majestic is the name of, of Yahweh. Psalm 37, again, the Lord upholds us. And Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, we see the weakness that we have and the mighty how mighty God is that upholds us in his powerful hands. We have bread of heaven. Feed me till I want no more. We should immediately think about the manna from heaven, the bread coming down. In Exodus, it, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. In the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Notice they said you'll be filled. So it's not like you will have a little bit, but you will be filled. You will have enough to fulfill um, your hunger. And then we have John 6, 48 through 51 and 58. So here we see kind of a transition from the Old Testament, the Exodus. They were looking for the Christ to come. So that bread that was given then was to sustain earthly. But now as Christ come, we look back at Christ. Christ is our bread, our eternal, um, what we need for our souls, to feed our souls as we move forward. We also think about the feeding of the 5,000. You remember the story where they had what a few loaves and a couple of uh, fish and as uh, Jesus was breaking the bread and feeding the 5,000 so they had plenty to eat and how many baskets were left over after they were everybody had their fill well, there was 12 baskets left over so there was an abundance of food that day and then we also there's a few other scriptures there that support the bread of heaven as we move into verse 2 We look at the first two stanzas. Open now the crystal fountain whence the healing stream does flow. And we think about in the wilderness, 
the Israelites were grumbling for food and what? Water. Well, there was not much water in the wilderness, was there? So how did God provide water for them? I remember? He struck the rock, right? And water came flowing forth. And the water poured out. So we have, uh, again, a few examples here in Scripture that point to that. We have John 4, 10 through 14. This, again, this is the, you remember the Jesus was in Samaria and he went to the well and the woman from the Samarian woman came up to him. And this is uh, Jesus talking. So John 4, 10 through 14. And again, we see in John 7, 37 through 38. So here we have Jesus saying, he is the living water. He's our spiritual uh, food and drink and water that we need that sustains us. And we also see in Revelation uh, 22, it talks about the river of water of life, bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the, of the Lamb. Also the tree of life is there where the leaves are for the healing for the nations. So here we see that transition from the Old Testament. We think about earthly sustenance, but in the New Testament, we, know, we can see Christ as our eternal substance that, um, need, that we need um, to strengthen us. As we move on, we have the next uh, two lines, let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. Um, most of us, I think, are familiar with the um, how the Lord led Israel through the wilderness. Remember, he had the pillar of fire that would lead them by night and the, um, the cloud by day. And it is a symbol that the, God does not leave his people. He does not forsake us. Uh, he stays with us. Um, he is a, God is a consuming fire. He is all-knowing, and he will not forsake us or leave us. And then we have the next uh, two lines there, strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield. And we could have picked a um, whole lot of psalms here and uh, had to, uh, go through and kind of cut out some of them, but there's a few here. We, but Second Samuel is a good... Um, passage here for us for strong deliverance. Somebody had Second Samuel uh, twenty-two one through four. Here we see David calling on the Lord. He was his deliverer. Many of the Psalms talk about 
uh, God being our deliverer, our rock, our shield, um, our our stronghold. Um, We also see in Ephesians where it talks about the full armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor, and especially in verse 10 where it talks about the take up the shield of faith. And we see that in the song, Be Thou Still My Strength and My Shield. As we move into verse 3, and when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fear subside. When we think about the verge of Jordan, we're thinking about death here. Um, When we're moving into our time, when we're getting close to our death, uh, we have Isaiah 43, uh, 1 through 5a. So here we have God you know, promising he will be with us. Um, we think about passing through the waters. You think about you know, Israel passing through the Red Sea because they passed on dry land. But we also think about the baptism. Um, you know, it brings to mind um, passing through the waters, but we will come through unscathed. And we think about like in Pilgrim's Progress when he, Pilgrim, is going has to swim the water and he comes up on the other side. He's landing safe on Canaan's side. So again, we see a lot of imagery back to um, the Exodus, but as well, we see it in our day as as we have Christ as our stronghold and our defender. And as we face the verge of Jordan, he will be with us. And why should we be anxious? For which of us, by being anxious, can add a single day to our lives? So if we can't even do something that small, why should we be anxious for anything else if God is with us and God is for us? And then in Philippians, it tells us, you know, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Jesus Christ. And to me, the strongest point there is the peace that we have in knowing that Christ is our a strong deliverer, and we should not be anxious. The next uh, two stanzas, we have death of death and hell's destruction. Land me safe on Canaan's side. Again, we see, the, like I mentioned, the Pilgrim's Progress, landing safe on Canaan's side. We think of death of death, and we think about uh, you know, Christ uh, conquering death in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. Who had... Thanks be to God who gives us the 
So here we see the death of death. Christ conquered death for us and hell's destruction. When we think about hell's destruction, we're thinking about what does hell want? Hell wants all our souls. Well, hell can't get all our souls in Christ because Christ has defeated death. So Christ is hell's destruction from that standpoint. So if we are in Christ, then we have victory. And death does not have that hold on us. And then with the last two stanzas there, song of praises I will ever give to thee. We think about why do we, why are we singing these songs of praises? Why are we singing these that we will ever give to thee? If we look at Psalm 105, it's a, kind of a summation of the Exodus. So he spread a cloud of a cup for a covering and a fire to give light by night. They asked and he brought quail and they gave and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and the water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promises, and Abraham, his servant. So he brought his people out with joy. His chosen ones are singing. Why are they singing? They're singing because God led them. God provided for them. He opened the rock, and the water gushed out. He remembered his promises. He's a covenant-keeping God. He can be trusted. This is why they're singing. This is why they come out with joy. And as they left Exodus, they left Egypt. We have a new song in Revelation that talks about the new song that we will be singing to the Lamb who was slain. It says the Lamb is worthy to open the scroll, as we see in Revelation five. And we will be singing these songs forever. Praises, to, songs of praises to thee. So as we walk through those three verses, hopefully you can see the the uh, influence of the Exodus that um, with, that pop, that influenced William as he wrote this hymn. And also you can think about his itinerant ministry as he was traveling through his wilderness, getting trying to get to people to spread the gospel. So, 2024, today is uh, December 31st, 2023. And someone pointed out to me this morning, if you write it out, it's one, two, three, one, two, three. So, um, so what does that mean? What's in store for us? Well, we need to trust in what we know to be true. And what do we know to be true? We know to be true that God leads us day by day, one step at a time. Proverbs tells us that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps so like israel in the wilderness we may not know the route that which god is leading us but we humbly count on his guidance we can humbly count trust and the lord will lead us so i ask this question to you as we close out 2023 and as we enter 2024 who will be your guide will it be the world will it be the flesh or will it be your own ability well, what do scriptures tell us? Scripture tells us that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart and we should not lean on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your 
your path straight. He will make straight your path. Be wise and not in your own eyes, and fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to the flesh and refreshment to your bones. So again, I ask you, who will be your guide in 2024? I hope your answer is Jehovah. Almighty God Jehovah will be your guide. And he also has a guidebook that we have that he's given us in the Holy Scriptures. And why do we need this? Why do we need the, the Holy Scriptures for God, for, and God to be our guide? Because he knows better than we do. Being that he knows better than we do, we need to trust in him. He's always proven faithful in his promises. Isaiah 58, 11 tells us, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desires in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose water waters do not fail. And do we believe this? Do, we be do you believe this as, as we move forward? I think we have a little bit of time left, so I'm going to show you verse 4. We're not going to go into it. But these two verses, 4 and 5, I'm not sure why they're not in the hymn book, but they are very powerful as well, just like the first three verses. Verse 4, all my hope is in your power. Wonders you have ever done. Death, hell, Satan are your captives. Victory is already won. Glorious conquest, this on Calvary was gained. I love that line, death, hell, Satan are your captives. It goes back to that death of death. And who's really in control? It's not me. It's not Satan. It's not you. But it's God. It's Christ. He's in control. And he can be trusted. Verse 5. Musing on my habitation, musing on my heavenly home, fills my soul with holy longings. Come, my Jesus, quickly come. Vanity is all I see. And Lord, I long to be with thee. Again, the victory song, singing praises. What are we hoping for? Where does our hope lie? Hope lies in, in Christ. In Lord, we long to be with you. We long to be with thee. So that's guide me, O thou great Jehovah. I felt like I kind of went through that quickly. In rushed. there was a lot of um, scripture there. Um, hopefully... Um, you were able to grasp the Exodus theme, the journey theme, the pilgrimage that we're on here on this earth. And as we look forward to our heavenly home, Christ has won the victory. So if you would, get your hymn books, and if you would stand, we will sing Guide Me, O Thy Great Jehovah. We'll sing the first three stanzas. It's in the hymn book. Uh, 598.
And hopefully with those three verses, as you sing and as you realize that it's calling on God's promises and God's uh, faithfulness, that if you're struggling in your prayer life, this is a good hymn to just get out and sing and sing God's praises and promises and his words back to him. So let's pray and we'll close this time. Heavenly Father, great Jehovah, mighty God, we are thankful that you have given us men who can write hymns that take your truth and your word and put it to song and that we can sing and praise and pray to you through songs. Again, we thank you that you are our guide. You are our deliverer. You are our bread of heaven. You are the healing waters in the fountains. And we will ever sing praises to you one day as we sing here on earth as a foretaste of how it will be. Father, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds as we prepare for worship. We pray that our worship would be in spirit and truth. We pray that you would prick our hearts deeply, that we would take in your word and learn more about you. We pray that you would encourage us through the message. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.